Good morning and welcome to our service here in Manifield. If you're a visitor to the congregation, not that we tend to have many visitors at this current time, um, a warm welcome to you. We begin our service with Let Us Build a House Where Love Can Dwell and it's hymn 198. You are the master builder, O Lord God, and we are created in your image. We have the desire to be builders in this world, building your kingdom in our creation, building justice and love and kindness, fairness. We don't build with wooden bricks, or blocks of granite. We don't build a tower or even build sandcastles. You call us to build with love, to take the ingredients of your teaching, mix it together and build something strong and grand. You want us to build a friendship, a friendship between the human family and you, and friendships across the world between each citizen of the earth. We thank you that you talk to us through your Holy Spirit. We listen for your voice. You spend time with us, and as we listen, we are guided towards being the people that you call us to be. But Lord, sometimes we get it wrong. We are guilty of not paying enough attention. We miss out on the times when we could have seen you in creation. We confess that sometimes we don't take enough notice of the world around us to look for you in it. Forgive us and help us. Help us make wiser choices going forward. Help us make time to look for you, to see you in the world and in the faces of all whom we meet in the world. As we begin to see you everywhere, may that change our way of responding to the world, to the people, and to the situations that come our way. As we learn to love as Jesus himself loved and care 
and share in the way he did. Lord, as we gather as your people, bind us together as one family, as we say together the words that Jesus taught, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever. Amen. I have a few photographs to share with you. Um, some of you perhaps have uh, seen this event. Uh, I think it wasn't this week past. I think it was the week before. Uh, this is Dunbar. Some of you might recognize. And this is the annual European stone tower building competition. Now, you might think from this image that there's just one man uh, involved in this competition. But if you've seen the rest of the photographs, um, you'll realize that there's actually a few different competitors. And it's quite a sight. Maybe some of the young people in church today have tried this on the, the beaches of Aberdeen or possibly more likely Stonehaven, seeing how high we can build our tower of bricks. And you can see there, there are plenty of people on the, the beach in Dunbar uh, building their brick towers. Quite impressive. You obviously need to pick the right stones. I would suggest they need to be quite flat so that they can pile uh, on top of each other and, and give the brick on top a good foundation. Uh, you need to have steady hands, I'm sure, once you get to the top. You need to be careful that you don't bump your stack of bricks with your knee or the whole thing will come crashing down. So you're wondering why are we looking at stone towers today? Well, Quite simply, we've reached the part of David's story when we're talking about the building of the temple. And we can think, first of all, of buildings, church buildings, cathedrals, temples made of cedar, made of brick. But we can also think of other things too, because building a church is not just about bricks. It's not just about the granite bricks on the outside of this building. Building a church is about relationships between people. It's about relationships between the people and God, of course. And I think as we think about our story from 2 Samuel and the story of David today, that we need to remind ourselves we're thinking about more than just bricks as we hear the lesson read for us. So, we're going to read now, and we're still in Second Samuel, and we are at chapter 7, and verses 1 to 14. Morris is just getting the words up of the, the reading. Second Samuel, chapter 7, verses 1 to 14. 
Now, when the king was settled in the house, and the Lord had given him rest from all the enemies around him, the king said to the prophet Nathan, See, now I am living in a house of cedar, but the ark of God stays in a tent. Nathan said to the king, Go, do all that you have in mind, for the Lord is with you. But that same night, the word of the Lord came to Nathan, Go and tell my servant David, Thus says the Lord, Are you the one to build me a house to live in? I have not lived in a house since the day I brought up my people from Israel, of Israel from Egypt to this day. But I have been moving about in a tent and a tabernacle. Wherever I have moved about among all the people of Israel, did I ever speak a word with any of the tribal leaders of Israel, whom I commanded to shepherd my people Israel, saying, Why have you not built me a house of cedar? Now, therefore, thus you shall say to my servant David, Thus says the Lord of hosts, I took you from the pasture, from following the sheep, to be prince over my people Israel. And I have been with you wherever you went, and have cut off all your enemies from before you, and I will make for you a great name, like the name of the great ones of the earth. And I will appoint a place for my people Israel and will plant them so that they may live in their own place and be disturbed no more. And evildoers shall afflict them no more as formerly from the time that I appointed judges over my people Israel. And I will give you rest from all your enemies. Moreover, the Lord declares to you that the Lord will make you a house. When your days are fulfilled and you lie down with your ancestors, I will raise up your offspring after you, who shall come forth from your body, and I will establish his kingdom. He shall build a house for my name, and I will establish the throne of his kingdom forever. I will be a father to him, and he shall be a son to me. Amen, and may God bless to us this reading of God's holy word. We sing again this time hymn number 115, Love is the Touch of Intangible Joy. First of all, let me be David, talking to God. I wanted to build you a house, but you said no. I wanted to protect your honour, give you status, give you a home, but you said no. I wanted you to be settled, safe, rested, content, 
But you said no. Did I create you in my own image? Did I imagine that you would value what I valued? Did I assume that my needs were your needs too? Did I get it wrong? God replies to David, David, from traveling with the sheep to being ruler over my people, I have always been with you. I will always protect you and your descendants. I will always be with you. I have journeyed with you, David, and I am still on the move with you. I do not want to settle in a house. I am not like you. This time, David, you got it wrong. But whether you get it right or wrong, I will always love you. Last week, for those of you who were here, we spoke about the Ark of the Covenant. And hopefully, I think, we agreed that God can't be contained in a box, in an ark. He can't be contained in any fixed item. He can't be contained in a church building or in the rituals of a congregation or indeed an institution. Because God is everywhere. We carry on somewhat with the same theme today. More specific, of course, perhaps, to buildings. It's actually a strange quirk of history that the Church of Scotland, perhaps more than any other denomination in the world, and that's quite a big statement, has since the late 1920s has had far too many buildings. Now there was, a, there was something that came up this week in the Church of England and a comparison per church membership, per capita if you like, about the number of buildings the Church of England has and the number of buildings the Church of Scotland has. And, it, and it's incredible how many more buildings in effect the Church of Scotland protects and maintains compared to our sister church south of the border. Now that, of course, for those of you who know church history, is all to do with the fact of how the Church of Scotland came into being uh, from three different uh, branches of the church. Um, hence the reason why we've got church buildings only, what, 500 metres apart, uh, even in this corner of Aberdeen. Now this is a big question, of course, for today's Church of Scotland. The general trustees who have oversight of the buildings, their mantra just now is this, that we seek well-equipped spaces in the right places. It's quite a catchy wee uh, rhythm. We can make a wee rap song out of that. 
uh, if the church was a bit more modern. Of course, they're not, so we'll stick with the phrase, well-equipped spaces in the right places. Most of the experiences of Christians, past and present, is that their Christianity, their faith, is tied in with a building, with a place to go to. Local parish churches, cathedrals, chapels. The buildings, if you like, have become a home to the spiritual life of all of us. And that's no bad thing. That's the way things have worked out. These buildings are gathering places of congregations where God's expression of love for all of us is, is seen, is made visible, is made real for all of us as we create Christian communities. Breaking beyond the walls of many churches to create a more fleet of foot community of faith that is able to respond quickly to the needs of society and to the needs of all individuals, that has proven rather tricky, particularly in these last years. I would say that the message I'm hearing is that many, most of the churches in the Church of Scotland are very aware that they need to adapt buildings to meet the times, to meet the needs of the times. But of course, not every building, not every church community is able to do that. It might be because of a lack of money, or it might be because of a lack of resources, people who can, in a sense, galvanize everybody together and mount a campaign to raise the funds or fill in all the forms it takes to get grants and uh, special help from, uh, from the government or from Historic Scotland, whoever. We were lucky. We managed to do it. How many of you like playing computer games? Either on your iPad or your phones or even on a PC. Some of you, I'm, I'm, I'm being optimistic here, uh, might know the game Civilization. So the, the whole point of civilization is that you build a community. That's what you go about doing. You, you build a, a, a city. And, and one of the things that you can do that's important as you build a civilization is actually building a temple. How interesting is that fact in the game? Second Samuel, David is thinking about putting down roots for his people, and to do that, assuming, thinking, God needs David to build a temple. Now, we should be blunt about this. There are a number of reasons why David sought to do this. One was an expression of piety, faithfulness to God. God, I will do this for you. I will give you a gift show you how much you mean. The political side of David's ambition was, of course, to build this civilization, build Israel into a strong community, a nation, a family that will be the awe of all around. The temple being an emblem of their more settled status. 
No longer are we a people on the move. No longer are we just traveling around. We're here to stay. We're going to build a city and we're going to have a big temple in it. I'm sure David did one of these SWOT analysis, strengths, weaknesses, opportunities, threats, uh, as, as they planned this whole project. Um, as far as he saw it, this was a good thing to do. As far as God saw it, God almost was saying, this could so easily become for you a distraction. Diverting you away from what really matters, what I'm actually asking you to build. Not bricks and mortar, not towers. Something else, David. But David, like the rest of us, would find it very difficult to get it, to understand what God was trying to show him. And we know, of course, that the temple would be gone to be built uh, later in the history of this people. It's a human tendency, I think, for us to assume that God wants what we want. So we do for God what we would want. It's an inversion, if you like, of the image that we have of God. Put it this way, that sometimes we risk making God in our image, thinking of God in human terms and not the other way around. When the Bible tells us that we're made in the image of God and that that should come first. I think what David is doing is getting it wrong. He's, he's building into what he thinks is faith. He's building it on what he thinks God is and he's making God in the image of humanity. But God concedes. He, he, he tries to make his point, but he, he lets the people get on and build their temple. Fast forward through the history of the Israelites, through this building up of the people of God. There are successes, as we said last week, but there are failures. There are defeats. There is failure in leaderships. There are, there's a story of a spiritual empty people. Yet ultimately, fast forward, God through David's line changes the face of humanity with the birth of Jesus coming from David's line, coming from the house of David not so much that David built, but the house, the people of God, that God, through the Spirit, built and builds. There is a real need for us today to be careful about assuming that we know what is in the mind of God. David sought to ascribe glory to God in the building of an edifice, an institution. God, however, did not want or need that. God seeks a living relationship with people, a relationship of mutual love and devotion. 
Don't get me wrong, it's hard for us to know what God wants, what God seeks. Are you like me that sometimes you're, you're praying and then you think, hang on a minute, um, am I praying for what I want or am I, or am I genuinely expressing in my prayer what God wants? Here's a good example, um, and I'm sorry it's, it's kind of now a week late, but uh, it came again from the Church of England, uh, two prayers in connection with England playing in the cup in the final last weekend. The first prayer is the prayer of the Archbishop Canterbury. So he said, prayers for the England team and for Gareth Southgate tonight. You've shown courage resilience and compassion on and off the pitch. You've brought joy to millions. And he signs off the prayer. Good on the Archbishop. P.S. It's coming home. Happy face, England flag, love heart. Richard Coles, now, you maybe who knew, you know, strictly, um, if you, if, you, if you go back in your music, uh, you would know him from um, the Communards or Bronski Beat or the same band. Yeah, I see a few people nodding. Well done. You're... So he says, in response to that, and he's a priest, obviously, Almighty God, who shows neither fear nor favor, grant to all who strive for victory on the field of play, courage, skill, and righteousness. And may they know that beyond fading glories and passing trials, eternal glory awaits when we finally come home. Amen. And he's put a picture on with the, uh, 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 the Italy captain and the England uh, captain shaking hands, exchanging flags before the game. I thought that was quite fun. It's always tricky for us to know what to pray for. Now, we don't want to be woolly in our prayers by always saying, oh, God, do whatever you want, and, you know, because that's not necessarily prayer. But how do we pray with some decisiveness? We need to be attentive to God and to the Spirit. We need to really do our best to listen for God feel God and understand God and then commit to our story of God with something quite commanding, something quite decisive in our prayer. As we look at God's perspective of the world and community and church and try and put our own words into it, we need to try and be attentive to God. Now, David maybe was sometimes, but sometimes he got the message wrong. We will also sometimes fall foul of that. But we still have to try to get the story of God right in our own heads. The second thing to take away is really a, a repeat in some ways of a message from last week. But it's very specific to the store that we place on buildings in our church today. David prioritized a building program. God started from the point of view of building something else first. Though God relented, if you like, and 
God's message through the prophet Nathan was of the building of a living relationship with people. The temple still was built, but we see that God had designs on building a community of faith, a spirit of godliness in the world. That was for God a priority. When we took upon our building renovations, I I do like to think that it wasn't just about building or ascribing glory to God by somehow trying to modernize our building. I do think that we spent many years listening. And if you look at the records, we actually spent from 2009 to 2014 listening before we then decided uh, to to raise the money uh, because we thought we now had a plan. We listened, we prayed, we put an effort together because we believed that we were following God's spirit, guidance, in trying to do something that would allow us to minister for God in the modern society. So the lesson from David today, I think, for the church is this. Sometimes congregations and our national church, as they listen to God in these times, will come to a conclusion for them or for their town or for their area that is different from the conclusion that we came to. And that might be a conclusion that is very hard for people to take. It might mean that a congregation needs real courage to be able to say, maybe we need to give up this building. Because what they're hearing from God is that the buildings are taking up too much of our time that it is too much of a job for us to bring them all up to the condition they need to be in for effective ministry and mission. Hearing a message that Scotland is a small country, that we don't need as many buildings as we do, that transport links being what they are today mean that communities are extended and we can be further away from the building that we call our spiritual home than we once needed to be. That, of course, is challenging. It's challenging for all of us. It's challenging for the institution, the National Church of Scotland. But when we spend some time in the story of David, and particularly this part today, I think our conclusion has to be, watch out. Don't ascribe to God what we think as human beings we need, which is steeples and buildings and churches everywhere with nice signs and open welcoming doors for everybody that maybe what God needs more is that we are creating that we are building a people of love and that that spirit of love will be outside the doors of our buildings in our communities and touching the lives of people where they are at amen and may God bless to us this preaching of his word. Let us...
Let us pray. Lord, we thank you for the vastness of the universe that you have created for us to enjoy, for its beauty and its fragility. You are present in all of it, in all that we experience, the joys and the pains, the ebbs and the flows of life in this creation. We thank you for all that brings us joy and laughter, for friends and family, for homes and security, for health care and education, for peace and stable government. We thank you for all the fortunes that we know in life that make us comfortable. But today we pray for others in the world who have no roof over their heads, who do not have a table, let alone food to put on it. Lord, have mercy. We pray for those whose lives are affected by walls that keep them out, that are barriers to daily living. Lord, have mercy. We pray for those whose doorways do not protect them from intruders, looking to steal from them or harm them. Lord, have mercy. For those who look out of their windows and who only see pain and suffering right before their eyes and turn away from it, feeling there's nothing that they can do, Lord, have mercy. Today we know the challenges that are facing the world. The continuing fight against the pandemic, the rising case numbers amongst young people, the need for society to open and yet the fear and anxiety of those who worry about what that will mean. And we pray for our brothers and sisters in Europe, particularly the low-lying countries in Germany where Horrific rainfall has caused massive loss of life, homelessness and devastation. We pray for the rescue efforts and for the efforts to rebuild. And we pray for scientists and those who reflect and discuss on what causes these extreme weather patterns. And as we recognize the urgency of the conversation leading up to the conference in Glasgow later this year. May our minds tune in to how we look after our planet and world for the sake of today's generation and future generations. May the conversation be fair and may it not end with conversation but may it end with real action. Lord, your home is in our hearts. Yes, you have a home here in the life of our congregation. It is your spirit that brings us together as brothers and sisters in the name of Christ. And yet we know that as we leave this place, you go with us. Your home is in our heart. Your church is wherever we are and in the work that we do always in your name 
to care for your people and world. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We close our service today with one more step along the world I go. listens to us and God knows our needs we listen to God we discover his ways God travels with us today and every day may the blessing of God the Father the Son and the Holy Spirit rest and remain with each one of us and all whom we love today and forevermore Amen